Still using my perch up here, standing, just wears me out a little bit yet. As I said, it is a blessing to be here this morning. And as we look at the advent of love, we're going to the most familiar chapter in the Bible when it comes to love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And as you turn there, I've had the privilege of one particular wedding in this church. I think I've shared this before, but PJ and Terry Schwarzentrubers, I stood right over here on the old stage and recited this chapter for their wedding. And I've used this text in weddings before. And just looking at the reality of love, the gift of love, the power of love. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. What is love? God is love, the scripture tells us. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. God's love was revealed to us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation. He fulfilled the penalty for our sins. He paid the price for our sins. Took the punishment that we deserved. God's great love was revealed to us through His Son, that Son that was born as a baby so many years ago, who took the punishment, again, for our sins. That is how much God loves us. Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. That brings us 
back to our main text for today. What does it mean to love one another? Why love? What does love look like? And how is it manifested in us? How is it displayed in us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for the gift of love. May your spirit guide us this morning as we study it, as we study things that we have studied many times. But Lord, help them to pierce deeper and deeper into our hearts, into our minds, into our spirits to understand and to walk in these truths, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, why love? We get kind of careless with that word love. We love certain desserts. We love certain vacation spots. We love to do certain things. That is, in a way, a cheapening of that word. And it's, it's in, in a way, a carelessness with that word. It's not wrong. But we need to truly understand what that word love means and the depth of it. The Greeks had different words that described different kinds of love. We use the same word love in the English language and context determines the type of love we're talking about. But the Greeks had different words. Love used here is the word agape. Agape indicates a deep, abiding, enduring, self-sacrificing love. The kind that looks out for the other person first, no matter the cost to ourselves. Now this text, 1 Corinthians 13, is bookended. It's preceded and followed by chapters concerning spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 speaks of various gifts and their source. Then you have chapter 13, the love chapter. And then in chapter 14, verse 1, it opens with these words, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Obediently pursuing our spiritual gifts is important. We're called to do that. We're called to recognize them, to search ourselves out for them, to ask God to reveal them within us, to ask God by His Spirit to empower us and reveal our spiritual gifts. But if love isn't the motivation, these spiritual gifts quickly lose their effectiveness. Paul gives some pretty dramatic examples of gifts in this text. Speaking in tongues of men and angels, prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, faith to remove mountains, give away everything, including my life. As spectacular, as awesome as these things are, if it doesn't come out of love, it's nothing. If it's not on the foundation of love, it's nothing. It's temporary. It's fleeting. It doesn't last long. If you're a great speaker or teacher, but don't have love, an administrator, excellent at meeting physical needs, a missionary, but it's not out of love, it's nothing. If it's not out of love, it's self Serving, self-preserving, self-promoting, 
God's desire is for love to be the reason for everything that we do. Love of God and love of people. Self-sacrificing love. The kind that looks out for the other person first. So why love? Without love, everything is pointless. Remember, the ability to love, you've heard me say this many times, the ability to love is why we as human beings have free will, why we have a choice. Without free will, we would not be capable of love. So that's why. Now, what does it look like? Well, the next few verses of chapter 13 list some characteristics. What love is and isn't. How are these revealed to us? Remember, God is love. Love is patient and kind. Have you ever really considered, meditated, thought about how patient God is with you? How many times have you committed the same sin? When someone wrongs you, how patient are you? With your kids, with your coworkers, with your boss, with your friends, with your spouse? How patient are you? Verse 7. This is the all things verse I termed it. These things refer to the motives and actions of others. Love bears all things. To bear, to cover or hide by covering is the way it's defined. Christ covered our sins with his blood. He was the propitiation for our sins. How do we bear each other's burdens? Gossip doesn't bear someone else's burdens. Telling everyone else about someone else's sin, someone else's shortcoming, does not bear their burden. Neither does criticism. Now, criticism and instruction are two totally different things. Instruction has the intent to bring improvement. Criticism is almost a celebration or a pressing down of someone. So criticism doesn't help. Bearing someone else's burdens is loving them in spite of their sins, in spite of their imperfections, in spite of their failures, for the purpose of bringing them to repentance. Love believes all things. Love believes the best. Do you believe the best in others? Not that they're basically good. That's not true. We're all born sinners. But do you, do you believe the best in others? That God can overcome the greatest sinner among us. I believe that God calls us to go into every situation believing the best. <coughs> yes, we have to be in reality, but I believe He is calling us to believe the best, but aware that evil is lurking. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We, as human beings, are well-trained in cynicism, tearing people down. It's modeled all around us. We, to be blunt, are ready to strike like a serpent when someone screws up. We're ready to tear them down in our nature. In some ways, it makes us feel better. But it's not right. But we, and we forget about the dove part. If we go into a situation looking for the worst, we are going to find it. And we are going to smother the seeds of hope in that individual or individuals. If we're looking for the best, we are going to help lift it to the top to nurture its growth. Next, love hopes all things. Remember, hope is, and I've taught, I've taught this a lot also, hope is an expectation. An expectation that what's going to happen is going to happen. Not a wish. And an expectation, an expectation by definition is a strong belief that something is going to happen. We're often told that expectations, putting expectations on someone can be bad, not fair. Expecting our kids to take certain paths in life, expecting others to meet our needs, expecting anyone to be what we want them to be is limiting them. And those are unhealthy expectations. Yes, we can encourage, we can present opportunities, we can make a case for why our opinion, our advice is what we see as a better way. But to expect, to think that someone is going to do what we want them to do is not a healthy perspective. Expecting them to be what God desires for them to be is life-giving. Expecting God to do what God says he will do is healthy. Expecting people to do what we want them to do is not healthy and not helpful. Love expects God's plan to be fulfilled. Expects the good to come to the top. If we don't expect kids to honor God, not of their own strength, but by the promises of God. If we don't expect our spouse, not on their own worthiness, but on what God calls them to be, we render them weak. We, in many ways, cripple them. This is, these are not crushing expectations. This is helping them to have hope. Kids choose wrong paths. Adults choose wrong paths. Spouses fail us. But love holds out hope until it is removed beyond all doubt. Love endures all things. Love endures through every circumstance. No matter what difficulties you may face. Believers who truly love and know what God's love is, no matter what they face, believers hold on. 
Yes, sometimes they need, oftentimes, beautifully, they need the body of Christ to hold them up. But believers ultimately hold on to hope. Hold on to the promise of God's love. Hardship and pain do not stop true love. They separate us from it only when we choose to let them. But true love never wavers. When believers persevere, they face physical suffering. They face persecution and hang on when the going gets tough. You know, hang on may be kind of a, a weak example. They overcome when the going gets tough. They strive to save their marriages despite disappointment. They can't always succeed because the other person has a choice to make also. But they strive to, with hope for God's will and God's plan. To continue to trust God despite setbacks. They continue to serve God despite fear or sorrow. When believers truly persevere, nothing can stop them. That doesn't mean their circumstances are going to be beautiful, but it means they're going to be empowered through the midst of their circumstances, no matter how ugly, no matter how difficult they become. Some of you here this morning are in a very difficult situation. I don't know all those situations. I know some. But some of you are in very difficult situations. Some very deep valleys. Love doesn't focus on the valley floor. It acknowledges that it's there. It acknowledges the hard. It acknowledges the difficult. But it keeps its eye on the mountaintops around it. Always looking and expecting to have God carry them out of that valley. That's going to involve some climbing on our part. But ultimately, God is going to do the lifting. Trusting God through the journey. Now, as we went through these verses, I skipped some things. We have the, what I term as the knots. Does not, love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Ouch. That's what I have to say about those knots. Ouch. Does not envy or boast. Have you ever been envious or boastful? It's not arrogant or rude. Have you ever had the chip on your shoulder? I'm right. They're wrong. I know it. They need to know it. It does not insist on its own way. Do you ever get stubborn? This is the way I want to do it. This is the way we're going to do it. It is not irritable or resentful. How loving do you feel when you read these knots? Feel. How loving do you feel? I don't feel very loving sometimes. But I know the only way that I can, it is even possible, possible for me to love is because God first loved me. So why do I have some of these knots manifested in my life sometimes? I definitely fall short at times. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. When we respond in these ways, in these knots, are we not saved? Paul's not giving us a checklist of salvation. When we come up short, when some of these knots are manifested in our lives, we are not condemned. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. We're just at that moment not loving. We are not imitating Christ. We are called to repent when we come to that recognition. When we, when we face those convictions, we are called to repent. Acknowledge our wrong attitudes, our sinful responses. Make no excuses. Make no excuses. And trust God to change us. Without Christ, we cannot imitate the love of God. If Christ, God himself, had not become man to save man from himself, it would be impossible for us to love. Don't lose hope. Stay with me until the end this morning. There's one more element of love's manifestation that we need to discuss. Love is very, very long-suffering. But true love does include justice. Verse 6. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We are called to bear, believe, hope, and endure. But love, true love, God's love, calls sin, sin, and then walks with the sinner. Bringing justice is not giving up hope. When you ignore the sin of others, we are not loving them. How does this come together? Paul says, love never ends. But these other things do. Prophecies. All will be fulfilled. We see so many of the Old Testament prophecies 100% in detail fulfilled in the account of the New Testament. We have prophecies still in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament, that will be 100% fulfilled. When that's done, it's done. The prophecies will all be fulfilled when God's time has come. Tons. There will be all one language. Remember, the language, languages were scrambled because of man's sinfulness. Man's trying to depend on himself rather than God. When all the fullness comes, there will be one language. There will be no more confusion. Knowledge. At least the pursuit of knowledge will end when the fullness comes, because there will be nothing else to learn. We will know everything. Paul goes on. This life is temporary. This life we breathe, that we live as we breathe, as our heart pumps the blood through our bodies, is temporary. 
Verse 9. For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Verse 10. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The perfect will complete the partial. Paul goes on to use some natural analogies. Comparing childhood to manhood. Comparing a mirror to face-to-face. That's where we are today. We are children. As mature as we are in our faith, some have, have advanced in their faith and their maturity. We are still children of the faith. We are looking in a mirror dimly. Verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Why can't we look at God directly? Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. We cannot see God's face as we live in this dim mirror of a world. Without a perfect blood sacrifice making us holy, we cannot look upon the holiness of God. That's why in the greatest act of love, He sent His Son again to be the propitiation for our sins. The reality is, we are looking at the spiritual life dimly. We are looking through the scars of Adam's sin, the scars of our sin, the scars of other people's sin. We can get bogged down in our scars. And as we look through our spiritual scars... It can seem hopeless. God's standard of love is so high, so beautiful, so perfect. As you look at these verses, notice the tenses. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, I know in part. Then, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's done. We spend so much energy wanting people to understand us, to be justified in the eyes of people. God not only completely understands us, He unconditionally loves us for who we are. Now in His great love, He doesn't leave us there. He is sanctifying us. He is maturing us. He is making us more and more in His image. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we are saved, when we are children of God, we have a new standard. That standard is love, God's love. We will not attain that standard in this life. But when we have put our faith in Jesus, When our lack of love is revealed, we will long to overcome it. Verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. They endure. These three. But the greatest of these is love. What does this verse mean? Paul has been talking again about spiritual gifts. In eternity, those gifts will greatly decrease in significance. Faith has been mentioned as a spiritual gift. 
the saving faith that God has forgiven sins. In this verse, it's referring to trusting in the goodness and mercy of God. Faith that God will do what he says he will do. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We're getting ready next next Sunday. Josh will start into the faith chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews. This trust will carry us through until we see God face to face. But then there will be no need for faith because we will have realized the object of our faith. Then there's hope. The expectation of God's promised kingdom. That expectation, too, is going to be fulfilled. There will be no more need for hope because it will be fulfilled. And finally, Paul says, the greatest of these three is love. Why is love the greatest? Paul tells us that love will abide forever. It's the only quality that will be fully active, both in the present and for eternity. Our faith will be complete when we see God face to face. Our hope will be fulfilled, but love will continue. This perfect love will be a reality. But in the meantime, in the current temporary state, I encourage you this morning to pursue this love in your heart. There is no cost in this world too high to pursuing that perfect love. There is no sacrifice too great to walking in the reality of that perfect love. In order to glorify God and bring others into his eternal kingdom, pursue that love. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. We praise you for that love. We praise you for that provision, Lord. God, help us to walk in the reality of that love, in the beauty of that love. God, may we realize that there is no cost too great, no sacrifice that God will ask of us in this life that is not worthy of that love. God, thank you for the gift of your love. Thank you for the power to love. May we, by your Spirit today and every day, walk in the reality of that love as it was given to us when you came down and were manifested in that beautiful little baby boy, born in humility, walked in obscurity, served in persecution, who faced death for us, to save us, to to make the the option available to us to give us the ability to receive and to walk in your love, Father. May we embrace that today and every day, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.